Ladies, we would be remiss if we did not take a moment to express our gratitude to you. Would you please stand for a minute and let us recognize the ladies and the beauty that is among us? Oh, don't be shy. Come on and stand with me. Ladies, we thank you. You can be seated. On behalf of my family, let me say thank you, ladies, for the love that you give to us so freely, for the patience that you show when we are knuckleheads, which is often, for the faithfulness of your constancy, just like the sunrise, you are there. We humbly and gratefully acknowledge you, and we say thank you you know, because of the constancy of a mother's presence, it's easy to overlook them. It's easy to say, well, of course they're here. But ladies, for those of us whose mothers have gone home to be with the Lord, let me say thank you on behalf of all of us. Because when that presence is gone, we miss it more than we knew we would. I was thinking about my own mother just yesterday. It was my birthday yesterday, and 48 birthdays ago, when I was six years old, yes, for those of you who have trouble with math, I'm 54, my mother took me to a Rangers baseball game. Some might suggest that's where my dementia got started, and you're probably right. But what strikes me in hindsight about that is that my mother hated baseball but she loved her son. And therein lies why, with two younger children in tow, she took her six-year-old son and convinced her husband, who hates baseball too, to go. That's the essence of motherhood. Thank you. We are grateful for what you do. I also find it ironic, if I might shift gears, that this week, was the leak, so-called, of the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe versus Wade. Let me just preface this by saying, I've prayed for this day for decades. And for nearly 50 years, we have been told to respect the decision the Supreme Court has made. Now that the shoe is on the other foot, we're being told they're illegitimate. Can I ask you today, friends, to pray with us, for we are a nation at a crossroads. To pray for our Supreme Court justices. To pray for God's providence for us as a nation going forward and to pray for an end to abortion. No. I can't know what it's like to be in that situation. That's something that's been made very clear to me. We also, I'm told by one of our gatekeepers, have had suggestions that there could be protests outside our doors today, and that if so, then may I ask a favor of you, show them love, show them the kindness and mercy of Jesus. Don't argue with them because you will not argue them into agreement. Let us instead show them what they are unwilling to show others. Tolerance, grace, 
kindness. Friends, the days ahead for us as a nation are uncertain in every respect. But when we have a moment in time like this one, we do ourselves no favors by not praying for our nation. So I want us to take a moment right now. If you'd like to join me at this altar to pray, then you're welcome to. If you'd rather not, then that's fine too. But we're going to take just a moment before we dive into Revelation 8 and pray for our nation. You're welcome to join me at this time. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for the freedoms that you've given us. With humility, we recognize they're on loan from you. We celebrate today, Lord Jesus, that your love for us extends far beyond our national borders and that it is not limited by time or space. And so we rest in that today. And yet, Lord, you've put us in this great land, and so we come together to pray for her, to pray for our future, to pray for our children and their future, and to pray, God, for your faithfulness, your kindness, and your mercy to fall on us now like it never has before. We rejoice, Lord Jesus, that you can do that. And so we rest today that you will. Bless those, Lord Jesus, who would disagree. I pray, Father, you would help us to show them the love and kindness that you've shown us. I pray, God, for our Supreme Court justices. Cannot imagine the pressure that they feel. And yet, Lord, you've called them to such a role as this, even if they didn't know it. So we ask, Father God, for all of our elected leaders, for all of those in positions of authority over us, would you grant them wisdom, strength, and clarity to lead us going forward? Today, Lord, we praise you for our mothers, and we thank you, Lord, that they gave us life. We rejoice in who you are, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, thank you. We are grateful to be here today to talk about Revelation 8. Now, ladies, let me just apologize right now. This is the most non-Mother's Day, Mother's Day talk I'm likely to ever give, even if I do this another hundred years. And yet, when I was preparing this and knowing it would fall on Mother's Day, I literally sat in my office and laughed aloud at Revelation 8.1. Let me read it for you again, just as my friend David did a moment ago. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Ladies, what would you give for 30 minutes of silence in your home? This is my point. Perhaps the Lord has a sense of humor after all. When we come to this chapter, we arrive at the seventh seal. And this seventh seal started back in chapter 6. We had chapter 7 as an interlude where we met the 144,000 and we saw the great multitude gathered around the throne and now we're back for the seventh seal. The Lamb opens the seventh seal and silence erupts. Now you might say, Darren, silence doesn't erupt. 
Silence falls. Not this time. You see, this silence is a deafening silence. Go back to chapter 6, and you'll find that the other seals, the other six seals, they bring with them something very different. There's the four horsemen. There are earthquakes. There's a change in the heavens. There's a call for justice. And yet now, with the seventh seal, silence. I want to try a little experiment with you. I'm not sure we can do it. But let's just take 10 seconds where we are as absolutely quiet as we can possibly be. Are you ready? I'm going to watch it on the clock to make sure. Go. Anybody besides me holding your breath? Imagine silence like that for 30 minutes in heaven. Herein is the reason that I call it a deafening silence. We don't like silence. As a culture, I mean, as a people, we press against it. We find things to fill it. Some of us turn our televisions on first thing in the morning. Others of us are greeted by clock radios. Still others of us have a phone that wakes us up and keeps us company all day long. And yet, in this moment, when the seventh seal is open, everything falls silent. The choirs of heaven, the songs that are there, the full width and depth of God's plan has been enacted, and it is a lull before the storm of God's coming judgment. This is what Zephaniah spoke of in his prophecy. Hold your peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. This is what Zechariah meant in, in, in chapter 2. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord. He is raised up out of his holy habitation. This is what Habakkuk meant when he said, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Perhaps, just maybe, this silence is a sort of Sabbath before the trumpets proclaim their coming judgment. Perhaps it is so God can hear even better his people calling out for justice and relief. Perhaps it's a sense of awe and a sense of reverence of God's patience or a sense of awe at God's coming judgment. Whatever the reason this silence exists is deafening. It's the only time we find anywhere in Scripture that it is silent in heaven. The other times we see heaven, we see it filled with the praises of God, as rightfully it should. But as the seventh seal is open, silence erupts. And now verse 2, under the Lamb's authority, seven trumpets are given to seven angels. My friends Craig and Art sit over here most every week. They play the trumpets for us. And let us rejoice that they do so. The orchestra is a blessing to us. It was good to see my friend Raven playing again today. If you enjoyed that saxophone at the beginning of the choir special, welcome Raven back when you find him. The part I want you to see, though, is not the trumpets, not yet anyway. I want you to see the standing angels. 
Translation could be just as easily serving angels. When we see Luke chapter 1, verse 19, we find Zacharias, John the Baptist's father, in the temple where he encounters Gabriel, the angel. He's described in Luke 1.19 as he who stands before God. A Jewish tradition reflected in ancient literature was that angels had no knees, and therefore they were unable to sit. Ezekiel 1.7 suggests their legs were straight. In this view, no one is permitted to sit before God. Proper reverence demands such recognition. These angels were standing. Let's talk just a moment about the significance of trumpets. If you're reading along in our reading plan, then you've just started 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel, you will walk along with me as we read through that, and you'll find a great many places where trumpets are used. We find them in a lot of different places. I want to talk with you about several reasons and ways that these trumpets are used and why they might be significant, why they didn't need an introduction, and why this moment in time is one that we should pay attention to. Here's the primary purpose, calling God's people together. Numbers chapter 10, verses 1 through 8, as they're in the wilderness, the trumpets are used to bring people together. Here's another reason. Trumpets are used for announcing war. When they were called together, it was for the purpose of defending themselves. Here's a third reason. Announcing special occasions or events. We still use them that way. When you go to ball games or you go to football games, high school or college especially, then it's not unusual to hear marching bands. And there's one instrument that seems to go right over the top of all the others. It's the trumpet. That's not by accident. Here's a fourth reason. The trumpet sounded at Mount Sinai when the law was given. Hmm. Exodus 19, we find it there being blown to call people to attention. Here's another element to it. In 1 Kings 1, the trumpets were blown when the king was anointed and enthroned. Hmm. We still use them that way. Oh, we don't have kings. But when the president comes in the room, what's the instrument played? It's usually a trumpet. Most notably, most memorably, the trumpets were used at the Battle of Jericho. You remember them. In Joshua chapter 6, they were told to walk around the city one time a day for six days, and on the seventh day, go around seven times. And when they got to the seventh time, blow the trumpets, and what would God do? He would make the walls fall down. It's a symbol of trust. Finally, according to Revelation 1.10, the voice of Jesus sounds like a trumpet. And the rapture of the church will be proclaimed by a trumpet, 1 Thessalonians 4. These elements, none of them would have been lost on John. He would have understand, understood the power and importance of the trumpets in the hands of the angels, and he would have understood this moment in time, this moment is the one that God has given for something powerful, for something overwhelming, for something that is eternity shifting. And indeed, that's what's happening. Can I just encourage you, over the next two weeks specifically, we're going to be taking up the trumpet judgments. 
This is the reason that many are afraid of Revelation as a study. I don't blame them. There are some terrifying things that are in both the trumpet judgments and the bold judgments. We will take them both up over the next several weeks. Can I tell you today, my friends, this is why it's important we have this conversation. I want to encourage you, bring people with you who might be worried about what Revelation means. There's no shortage of knuckleheads teaching wrong things on the internet. And there's no shortage of people offering opinions that are at best half-informed. Friends, this is a moment God has given us to make things clear. It doesn't mean we have all the answers, but it certainly means we know where to look. And that's what we're going to do. Take a look at God's Word and see what it says to us about these judgments. They start in verse 3. Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God and the hand from the hand of the angel. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. As we look at verses 3 to 5, we see an angel at the altar and the prayers of the saints. I want you to see verse 3 specifically. I want you to underline a word if you'd be so kind. Prayers. This moment in time where we see into the throne room of heaven and we see what's happening there, we find the prayers of all the saints. Let's just pause here and say, when God says saints, he's not talking about the football team in New Orleans. He's talking about those of us who are in Christ. Those of us in Christ, whether we feel like it or not, we are saints. You might say, well, Darren, I'm in Christ, but I don't feel like a saint. I, I get that. But it's not based on your qualifications outside of being in Christ. It's not about being sinless. It's not about being perfect. It's not about being all put together. It's about being his. And because you are his, your prayers arrive before him. What does this mean? It means, quite simply, God is listening. God is listening. This is an important thought. Because when we go back to Luke chapter 1, we find a parallel to this passage in some respects. You see, Zechariah wasn't there by accident. It wasn't just because he was drawn for that day, although that's true too. He was there because God was listening to he and his wife Elizabeth as they prayed for a child. This, friends, is why Zechariah is there that day to meet with Gabriel. Oh, he was in there to perform his duty. Don't make a mistake. There was another element to it. But it didn't start because of Zechariah. It started in the heart of God because he heard their prayers. 
I want to encourage you today to recognize something, friends. The prayers that you lift before God do not go unnoticed. I hope you'll write that down somewhere and let that anchor your days. They do not go unnoticed. You might say, but Darren, he hasn't answered yet. Well, there's three answers that God gives to prayer. Yes, no, and wait. Sometimes the kindest thing God can do is say no to the prayer that we pray. Other times, the prayer is right, but the timing is wrong, so his answer is wait. But see, the problem that most of us have is when we pray for something, we don't want no or wait, we want yes. Can I tell you today, if we learn anything from Revelation 8.3, it's that the prayers of the saints are before God and in his ears. This moment of praying, it means that God's people are praying. I call your mind to that because I know that many struggle with prayer. One of the reasons that we do is because we've misunderstood it from the get-go. We've presumed that there's a right formula to prayer or that we have to have some sort of eloquence to catch God's attention or get, our, get his ear turned toward us as if God is impressed by our words. God is not impressed by words as much as he is the heart that offers it. I want you to be in prayer. There's a million things to pray for, but I want you to be in prayer. Because an amazing, miraculous, powerful thing happens. When I pray, I come into the throne room of heaven itself. And I'm invited to do so because of Jesus. It's not because of me, it's because of what Jesus has done for me. Can I tell you, my friends, this is good news. And it means that Jesus did this for me. My prayers matter. God wants to hear from me. I want to take you back to this throne room for just a moment. You'll notice that the incense that is laid there is on the golden altar before the throne. See, this goes back to the Old Testament, the temple, where the altar was placed in the temple, and it was there that incense was burned. And as the smoke from the incense arose to heaven, it was symbolic, symbolic of the prayers of God's people being lifted up. And as those prayers are lifted, they come to the nostrils of God, if you will, and their reminder that God is listening as his people are praying. I want you to recognize and acknowledge with me this golden altar, for it means that God wants a relationship with humanity. I want you to celebrate today that God came looking for you. We sing that song, I've Decided to Follow Jesus, and it's a great one. I love that song, but it's only half true. I can't decide to follow Jesus until I recognize he came looking for me first. Friends, Jesus came looking for you. And here's the powerful thing. Here's where it gets really exciting. As the golden altar has these prayers and as they're lifted before the throne of God, God gives the angels freedom to see 
his response. See it in verse 5. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. What does all that mean? It means this. God responds and fire falls. When I was about 12 years old, we'd had a snowstorm, an ice storm actually. So we were stuck at home. All but my mother. She didn't work very far from our home. My dad had left the firewood out where it could get wet. So the wood was wet, but that wasn't going to deter my dad. He said, Darren, go into the garage and bring me back some of the kerosene that's in there. Okay, Dad, you bet. So he, while I was doing that, got the uh, lighter, got the uh, charcoal lighter, sprayed it on the wood while I was bringing in the kerosene. He poured the kerosene on top of where he'd sprayed the lighter fluid, and then just as he was about to strike the match, he turned to me, standing next to him, and he said, maybe you should step back a little, son. I said, okay, Dad. And he lit the match and threw it in as he jumped back. Can I tell you today, my friends, while we did have a warm fire, we did not have any eyebrows. We learned something that day. Fire is hot, and it warmed the house up quickly. This is the essence of the fire that is being thrown, reminiscent of the Day of Atonement. On that day, the peace would be placed with incense on the coals and the censer and the blood of the sacrifice, and they would enter the Holy of Holies. This time, instead of having the sacrifice laid on the, the coals, the coals are scooped up and thrown on the earth as an act of judgment. Reality is that this moment reflects God's desire. It was never to get man's will done in heaven, but rather to get God's will done on earth. The lightning, the thunder, the earthquakes, all these physical manifestations are reminders of God's vindication of his saints. This idea of judgment is throughout the Bible. When we come back to this next week, we'll pick up right there and we will say, God, have mercy on those who are on the wrong end of those judgments. But I want to tell you, friends, you need not fear. Maybe you're reading this right now and going, oh man, this is bad news. God's going to judge things. Let me tell you, friends, God has always been going to judge. These people who have these tattoos that say, only God can judge me, it's all that I can do not to stop them and say, you can be sure he will. not because of what they are doing or because of what they have done, but because his holiness demands judgment. So here's the, here's the options we have. One is to pay that price ourselves, to stand before him and answer for our own actions, answer for our own sin. You have no answer good enough, my friend. 
But oh, beloved, that answer isn't what Jesus came for. See, Jesus came to step in in front of you and to say, I'll take that punishment. I'll receive that judgment. I'll take that and let it fall on me. And that is why the cross still matters. Maybe you have never encountered the living God in this way. Can I tell you today, this moment in time right here is for you. Jesus calls to you and says, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Today is your day. If you're in this building, then today I want you to respond to Jesus, not because you have it all together, but because Jesus wants you just as you are. At the end of this service, I'll be waiting for you right outside these doors on this side. Come find me. Let's talk about how Jesus can be the Lord and Master of your life. Maybe you're not in this building and you'd like to do that. Pick up your phone and text the name Jesus to 3150092. This is the opportunity God has given you to respond. Today, this moment is yours to respond to what God is saying to you. Maybe you've done that and you've never been baptized. Today is a great day to get that conversation started. Come talk to me about that. Let's talk about how that can be. Maybe, just maybe, you need a church home. You know what, my friends? Today's a great day to do that too. Come talk to us about how you can join the first family and be a part of what God is doing here. I want to pray for you, my friends, and pray for God's kindness and release so that you need not fear the judgment described here. Pray with me. Thank you today, Jesus, that we can rest confidently that you have already paid the price for our sin. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to let judgment terrify us. We don't have to wonder what will happen when because we know, Jesus, you have already paid the price. My prayer today, Jesus, is that you would help us to be embraced by that instead of overwhelmed by it. That we would sense your loving arms around us and instead of Revelation 8 terrifying us, it would remind us of the price that you paid to make sure we didn't have to see that. I pray for those who need to respond to you today, Jesus. I know they're listening. Will you give them freedom to break the bonds of sin and shame, to free them from guilt? And that they would respond to you today, Jesus, because of who you are. Guide us now as we go from here. Use our lives for your glory, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.